Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have Alyssa Nichol. Hello, hello. Christopher Ford. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Chris, you're new. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself real quick? Hello, yes. My name is Chris Ford. I'm a software engineer in the, over in the UK, living just outside of Southampton. If you're not familiar with Southampton, uh, that's the place where we very successfully launched the Titanic once upon a time. <laughs> um, yeah, writing. Good stuff. And, yeah, writing lots of Angular. And yeah, happy to be here. Very Welcome nice. Welcome aboard. Thank you. That's what they said on the Titanic as well. Oh, yeah. woof. <laughs> it's funny because our, our next newest panelist is Dave Cooper. So I think we're having a British invasion over here. That's right. Uh, I see. I like well, it. we'll see. I like yeah, it. absolutely. Heck yeah. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. So speaking of the Titanic, we, we've decided that we're going to talk about how, how Angular is declining and uh, going away. And, you know, in, in five years, it will be a fond memory, right? Uh, <laughs> Right, this, so this is actually my first and last podcast episode because <laughs> there's not going to be any Angular to talk about by the time this comes out. So That's right. It'll just be another React podcast. Hey, yeah. Adventures in Angular, where we talked about React. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you, you shared with us a tweet where it was, uh, you know, well-paid geek, at well-paid geek on uh, Twitter said, do you recommend Angular? No. And uh, I, I've, I've heard this too. I've heard a few people uh, talk about this, you know, is Angular in decline? We had the same conversation, incidentally, on Ruby Rogues about Ruby, right? Because a lot of people are going to other technologies like uh, JavaScript and Go. So yeah, it's like, it, is it declining? And, and I'm curious, before I share my own thoughts, uh, what your thoughts are. Is it declining? Well, I certainly hope not, because I've been writing a lot of Angular for a number of years, and that's how I rely on my living. Although uh, you could argue that actually it doesn't technically matter if it is in decline, right? Because we're all JavaScript developers. So if Angular does decline and go down, then that's fine. We'll just move on to the next framework because it's all the same language. But I no, I don't think it's possibly in decline. I think that this is just a fairly standard of a, a Twitter subset of people, isn't it? Where, okay, so you're not using Angular yourself and you're not applying for any jobs using Angular. So therefore in your head, Nobody's using Angular, right? Mm. Yeah, it's the exact same thing as so every year my company likes to have me and some teammates of mine write about the state of JavaScript and we cover all of the frameworks in that. And I like to go to stateofjs.com and look yeah. at their yearly survey results. And you know, I always preface whatever, whether I'm doing a talk or an article on it, you know, this is obviously not everyone on the web took this survey, right? So it's only as accurate as far as the demographic of people who would take this survey. So I think it's the same thing, like you're saying. It's just what's your bubble like on <laughs> on Twitter and in our community and whether or not you think it's prevalent. So I think it's a really hard thing if we were to actually be like, okay, what are like frameworks in use right now and which one's dying? Like I think it'd be a really almost an impossible task to truly say because how are, you, how are you going to get that information? So, uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I have to throw in the obligatory Google Trends search, right? Mm -hmm. Where, you know, you look at uh, React versus Angular. And what's interesting there is that the lines, because I just looked over the last year, 
the lines are almost parallel, right? Yeah, so, even, in the, even in the peaks and troughs, right? They're following right. each other. So that just means and, that in that one month, people aren't looking for JavaScript-related stuff. Yeah, it's over the last year, right? So, you know, the one in comparison to the other, it's not declining, which is also interesting because to me, that says that they're growing at the same rate, more or less, right? If they're growing or shrinking or whatever, they're growing and shrinking at more or less the same rate. So that's, that's fascinating. I mean, state of JS, yeah, it shows many more people want to use React than Angular. Well, it's cool. To, like, if you go to the frameworks, like the specific front end frameworks, tab on the state of JS for 2019, there's like this overall view with React, Vue, Angular, Ember, even things like Svelte are in there. Svelte! Yeah. I love Svelte. (laughs) So you like click on like satisfaction, right? The satisfaction across all these front-end frameworks. React is 89% satisfaction. Svelte is 88% satisfaction. Angular is 38. So if you're taking it just based on satisfaction and you're looking at popularity... Apparently, Schvelt is ruling the world right now, right? Like, but at, at the same time, if you go over to like awareness, you've got 100% on React and Angular. And so, I don't know. I, it's, it's hard for me to, to take to heart even, you know, this dude on Twitter, this thought leader saying Angular, you know, just no, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> that whole satisfaction thing as well is, you're absolutely right. Because, I mean, if I had to write jQuery all day, my satisfaction would be in the negative, probably. But you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> it's still everywhere, right? You know, it so is. even as yeah. much as I'd like to say that jQuery is in decline, I suspect it's probably not. <laughs> I think it is to the extent that people adopt new technologies that replace it, right? So if we're talking jQuery, in, you know, on its own. Yeah, you know, the company moves along and creates a new app and they decide to use Vue or Angular or React or something on the front end, right? To get the same kinds of effects or whatever, this, that, or the other. And to get access to plugins and libraries that attach to those that give them the effects that they want so that they're more modern. There's you plenty know. of legacy stuff out there, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that, like... that's what I was going to say. That that decline takes years and mm. years and years to achieve. And there are still a ton of websites out there using jQuery. So yeah, I mean, in decline... There's still a ton of websites using web forms. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's just, it, it, you can't kill yeah. some technologies, right? Like, right. Not that I'm at all comparing Angular to web forms, but I'm just saying it's to say that you and I are going to be out of Angular jobs within our lifetime, I think is silly. Unless I will say... That I have the hope, and maybe the stupidest hope ever, but that JavaScript reaches a point where it can stand by itself and we don't need front-end frameworks. So I could see Angular Blasphemy. going away when <laughs> all front-end frameworks go away. But until that point, it's such a solid, full ecosystem. Like I, yeah. I was arguing with... I was on a webinar last week with one of my coworkers, and he represents React for Kendo UI, and I represent Angular. And so we were uh-huh. on air, and he's like, I just... I don't know what you're doing on Team Angular. And I was like, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and so we had our back and forth, but it, it's funny to see like the polls of like the people on our webinar. And it was like, mm, I want to say 65 to 70% were um, in it for Angular. And right. it was only like the rest were for jQuery and then a small smattering for Viewer React. And so it was just interesting. Just That's just, a, of course, across Kendo UI, the library that I get to advocate for. But um, Well, and that's the whole point, right? is that your audience is going to split out differently from mine and everybody else's. So whoever they draw into state of JS, 
it, it exposes a bias of who they're able to reach as much as it exposes the the direction of the community. You, you, you got a problem with things like state of JS as well because when I saw when the when oh, I saw a tweet survey, somebody picking it apart. Well, I, I mean, I'm I'm going back even further. I saw when uh, the tweets coming out when when people were saying right, state of JS is now live. Go and go and do it. And I thought, oh yeah, I bet Angular's <laughs> Angular's not going to come out favorably here. I'll go and I'll go and respond to it so that I can show how much I love it. And I went to the website and it's like, yeah, cool. Just you know, enter enter, enter all your details and sign up. It's like, nope. <laughs> No, thanks. Not that interested. So it's uh, maybe I contributed towards the decline of Angular myself just by... (laughs) I know, right? Just because you're not the survey-taking type or you didn't want to give them your info. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was interesting too. Yeah, I I took it. And yeah, I had to give them my email address or something to even do it. Well, so I like to represent Angular as well on that specific survey. Uh And each year, it gets more and more annoying to fill out. It was like at first it was just asking you a few basic questions and your opinions. But now I feel like I'm being raked over the coals about like really random little like technologies. And I'm just like, oh, this is so tiresome. I just wanted to represent Angular, but now I don't care anymore. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I I don't want to pick apart their methodologies or whatever, but yeah, you're never going to get a fully representative thing unless you get 100%. And you just won't. So, I mean, you know, is it statistically significant what they, you know, the number of people they got? I don't know. But I mean, we see this in politics too, right? I mean, look at the 2016 election, you know, love it or hate it, the way that it came out was all the polls said that Hillary was going to win and she didn't, right? And a lot of them were on point with the popular vote, but, you know, missed out on the electoral college. But it's, it's interesting, right? So it's like, what are you actually looking for? And the other thing that I'm looking at is even if the relative, so, so I want to point out two things because I've seen this in Ruby, I've seen it in Angular, I've seen it in a bunch of other technologies that I have followed. And that is, is that people say it's declining when in reality, it's just not growing as fast as whatever the leader is, right? Even like growing, I would say like, maybe it's just not as buzzworthy. Because yeah. as far as like jobs and not just jobs, but like the quality of the job, mm-hmm. like what what's actually being offered out there right now? I have, do you guys have any stats on that as far as like framework jobs? I mean, I don't, I don't have any stats, but I mean, I don't either. unless you're incredibly lucky, you're going to get contacted by recruiters like several times a day, right? So, well, you know, at least a few <laughs> times a day. And what I tend to find is that, and obviously bear in mind, I'm in the UK, so it might be, might be different over here, but I find that there's a lot of Angular in sort of big enterprise companies. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm at a big enterprise company at the moment and everything in the area that I'm in is all Angular. Whereas you get a lot of sort of startups, you know, scrappy startups, they're going for React because it's the cool hot thing. And because, you know, oh, we're bootstrapping a team and we're just going to put something together and throw it out there. And so they're going to React because it's the cool thing, right? So I, th- I, I think I, you've got a difference there too. I think you have a point there, both of you, in the sense that we've seen a resurgence. Like if you go look at what the most popular programming languages are, JavaScript was up there in the hunt for a while and then Python just kind of took everything over. And if you go look at why, it's because, well, all of the innovation in machine learning, data science, things like that are all being done in Python, right? And so the, there was a huge uptick there. And so, yeah, it's, you know, React, they, they've got stuff going on there. I mean, Angular has gotten fairly stable, right? There are some things that still come out on a regular basis. We're talking about you know, Ivy and what that that all is going to mean still and things like that. But for the most part, the API is stable. 
People know what they're going to do with it. There are libraries that have been around for a while that do it. And so there's not this you know, frantic action going on where people are going, oh, there's this new thing in Angular. And so by, by that standard too, it's just not driving as much traffic to, for people to go and, and, and look at it. Whereas Python is, hey, there's a new AI library. Hey, there's a new this library. Hey, there's a new you know, data science here. And so, yeah, you know, I think there is a bit to the trend. And I think there's also a bit to just how much new, exciting activity is going on there. And React still has some of that. And I think Angular has less of it. And I mean, you're absolutely right. As, as, soon, as, as soon as something else comes out, people are just going to, when people want to play with something new, they're going to flock to it. And, and yeah. you can see that. You can see that from going back to the state of JS. You can see from the fact that Svelte, Svelte has just come out of nowhere. But it's because. It's come along and people have said, oh, you should try this because it's, it's cool and new and it's not horribly unpleasant to use. And so people are just jumping on it, you know? And, and, but at the same time, I haven't seen a single Svelte job come to me from a, from a recruiter, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's like whenever I had somebody come up to me at a conference and they were like, have you heard the good news about Elm? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I literally was like, the tree? Like, what are you talking about? And it's, I feel yeah. the same way about Schvelt. I hear, I hear like people talk about it like it's cool, like it's so exciting, but then I don't, I don't really see a lot of it in the job space. So I don't. Yeah. What was the good news about Elm? What was the good news about Elm? It's functional it programming. It's a functional yes. programming, like, front end framework. And they functional were, programming. They Unicorns. Thought, they had heard yeah. a talk I gave and they thought it would like answer all my problems with I like see. Yeah, and unicorns. <laughs> yeah. Free unicorn for everyone who sounds right. To the, to I've never heard anyone talk about that. Like a talk well, and, that way about a framework. Have you heard the good news about <laughs> Well, and everybody knows that unicorns uh, poop rainbows. So <laughs> I mean, I honestly no, it's funny because it's it's true, right? I mean, there are certain things in functional programming that are not issues or that are issue, you know, that are issues in procedural or object oriented programming. You know, I, I think you get deep enough in, you're going to find that there are issues the other way too. But yeah, you know, and, and it's different and it's fun and it's, you know, it's engaging to, to do something different. And so I, I think there's something there. But I am curious have you guys seen any real evidence that the Angular community is shrinking or diminishing in some way? Or honestly, I've just, Felt it holding steady. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as I, in my advocacy job, I, I get to see, I have the privilege of seeing a lot of different communities throughout the year. Sometimes I'm traveling as much as four or five times a month. Thank heavens, I'm trying to steer that down a little bit. But not only that, but just being like a GDE and getting to talk to the Angular team and their use cases. And it feels, it just, there was a time when um, like early on in the Angular days, when it was like, <laughs> I actually have a sticker, an old sticker of the Angular logo. And underneath it, it says so hot right now. And I like that <laughs> they included right now, right? Like it's the difference between being young and exciting and having all these new things versus being dependable and steady and like holding true. And I haven't felt the community decline. I just don't feel, I guess, the, the, the brand new... Excitement, right? Of that first date. So, so, you're saying that Angular is like the the comfortable middle age of JavaScript frameworks, <laughs> right, well, where yeah. you just you know you just want to come home, put your slippers on, write, a, <laughs> write write some components. No, I mean, not even 
with slippers, right? Like maybe, maybe you're into routine, right? You get up, you get your morning coffee, you go for a run, you come Subscribe back. to an observable. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting there too, right? Is that the level of maturity brings in a different kind of audience, right? So you've got, you know, a lot of people that want to be out there kind of, uh, there was a talk by Brandon Hayes at uh, Mountain West Ruby Conference a few years ago, and he talked about basically the pioneers, the settlers, and the or the trail. I think the first one was like trailblazers or something, right? And so you've got the people out there on the frontier. There's no infrastructure, right? And some people just want to be in the thick of that, right? And so as soon as things start to get settled in a, in a framework or language, they're out, right? They they want to go stake their claim somewhere else. And then you've got people who are settlers, right? And so they're going to come in and they're going to build all the, the libraries that we're used to, all the infrastructure that we're used to having in a framework that we want to use. And then you've well, got the people who come in. That we're used to having. I feel like we're just now like coming into our own as JavaScript. So like... Fair enough. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I you know, see your point. Yeah. It's, it's the stuff that you... They've had in Java for 20 years, right? And, and now we've got, we've got the same thing in you know, front-end frameworks because it, it solves all these problems and does all these things, right? And, and all of these systems go through these cycles as well. So anyway, that, that's interesting to me. The other thing that's interesting to me is if you go out and you look at, as far as usage, the languages that are widely used, you still see .NET and JavaScript and Java a lot. Mm. And you know, you're not hearing a lot going on there. You're not seeing a lot going on there. You, know, you go to Microsoft Build and they'll, they'll announce new features of .NET Core and things like that. But in reality, you know, those ecosystems are extreme, extremely stable and the enterprises like them. And so there could be a silent component to the Angular community that's just not being heard on these kinds of samplings. Yeah, I mean, of, of all the, the code base, the Angular code bases that I've worked in, one of them has been served off of Node and all of the rest of them have been Java. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, my colleagues who work on backend technology, you know, they're all really comfortable. They like the Java. They, they know there's lots of jobs out there for Java. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to, that's kind of how I feel about Angular as well. You know, I like, I like writing it. I still enjoy it. And, and it, is, it is like a comfortable middle-aged thing. Because, not that I'm middle-aged. I am comfortable, but I'm not middle-aged. You know, I, I like the fact that if I were to go to a new job tomorrow and it's Angular, uh, they, could, you know, they, they could say to me, right, okay, well, we need to implement this new feature. And it's like, cool, okay. I mean, I'm going to have to swamp around in the code base for a bit to try and work out what's going on. But I could sit down and start writing Angular you know, straight away. No, no delays. No, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think the other side of it is community. And I don't want to mm, say things <laughs> that we'll get in trouble for. But Start a fight. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> How do you say it kindly? I feel like there, even with like the recent Twitter fires that we went through in the end of 2019, I still feel like the Angular community is a kinder, more open, more accepting like place to be. And oh yeah, hundred percent. Like as a as somebody who up until about half an hour ago was just you know a, a community member, just in enjoying you know the correspondence going on. And I, I've always felt, certainly in the whole time that I've been in sort of working in this space, that just. If you ever talk to somebody or engage with somebody who is who is in the Angular space, they are they're nice and friendly. And I'm not saying that people who are in the other spaces are not nice and friendly, but you are m- much more likely to come across somebody trying to pick a fight with you 
if they're in one of the other communities, react. <laughs> you no, know? so yeah. and, and that's that is the thing, and it's an unfortunate thing. And and if you go back to this original tweet from the well-paid geek, you know, it's it's you've just got these two sides coming together. You can go down the the whole tweet storm, and you've got people the 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 people who are into their react are properly going for it like yeah you're right angular's in decline because react 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 and then you've got other people coming along saying oh yeah well you know i i use angular and and i've been doing it for years and it's and and it's it's in demand from my company and la-di-da have a nice day enjoy your day you know and and that's the other point at least in my head is okay so if i'm going to come in am i going to learn angular or react or Vue or svelte or ember or whatever right and the reality is is that there are companies... Okay, I only know two people who actually get paid to write Svelte. Okay. Huh. It's two but, more than me. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, you do? You know two? I do. But they had the good news it's about so Svelte. new that it... Right? It's, it's, it's just a, a different thing. But for all the rest of them, I don't know anybody who does React or Vue or Angular or even Ember or some of the older frameworks that are just not as widely used that if they really want a job, that they can't find one, right? And so if you're looking at it from that point of view, I think picking the most popular one, picking the one that seems to be on the biggest upswing, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get paid more. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to have an easier time finding a job. In fact, I would dare say that, you know, going back to the same example, right? I would dare say there are more Java programmers out there than there are Angular programmers out there. But yet it's way... It pays way better, and it's way easier to find a job doing Angular than it is to do Java. And the you know, and it's just it's it's the way that those communities work, and it's also the fact that you know a lot more there are a lot more jobs per programmer in one community than the other because a lot of people are coming out of school learning Java, and so they think they will go get a job learning Java, and so the the job market is more saturated there than it is the other way. I've also seen this in certain PHP worlds, right? It seems like Laravel's kind of had a resurgence, right? And so it's, you know, it's a, it's a different way of getting a job. But yeah, so talking about, are you going to be able to get a job in it? Yeah, probably. You know, are you going to be able to get involved in the community? Yeah. So really looking at it as, as far as a practical, can I get what I want out of it? Pick the technology that makes you happy. And, and then I think that's the nerdy thing about it is I just, like Chris said, I like Angular. I love writing it. And yeah, I just, I don't know, I find myself liking even the most mundane parts of it. Yep. So, um, but people are also like, well, you haven't really given these other frameworks a chance, you know, to like get to that point with them. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. I haven't. I fell in love and I never left. So, <laughs> And now I have family here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, I hope you're going to edit in some, you know, some rom-com music or something just over the top of that. That was, that was a beautiful speech. I got like a tear in my eye. It was really nice. Alyssa's second child's going to be named Angular. Oh my gosh. If only. You know, I'm married to a <coughs> Ember developer. <laughs> You'll get over it. Ember's in decline. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm evil. Anyway. Uh, I wanted to but, ask about... So I remember one of my first NG comps, Brad Green, the once leader of the Angular team, he said this most profound thing on stage, and I, I still find myself smiling about it, but he said... You know, because NGConf, one of the biggest Angular conferences that I know of, like 1,500 uh-huh. plus people, huge stage, incredible audience. And he said to all of them, my job and my pay would not change a single bit if all of you left 
and stopped using Angular. And, and what he meant by that was they write Angular internally for themselves, for their own use cases. They test Angular internally for themselves, for their own use cases. And so they're kind of like this, like the self-standing thing. They don't need the popularity of the community. Uh-huh. They don't need the approval of the community. Like they will stand through it all. And so in a way that comforts me, like as far as when people start talking about what's going to happen with Angular, because I'm like, nothing. It's going to keep being Angular. I, I don't know about, <laughs> I can't say the same for any of the other frameworks with who's backing them and how long they'll be writing them based on you know the community that uses them. So I didn't know if you guys could speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like they, yeah. they're not, I mean, you know, look at the latest stuff coming out of Angular over the last, I don't know, say a year to 18 months. I mean, there has been nothing that has made me leap out of my chair upon reading a post and go like, oh, can you believe, can you believe what they're adding to Angular next? Whereas, you know, the React community is just like self-exploding just just over hooks, whatever they are. But, you know, they're just, they're going <laughs> mental. It's like, oh, we're just going to write this fundamental new thing so that everyone just goes crazy excited for it. It's like, well, you know, Angular, what are they doing for me? They're just making it more stable. And so if I need to update my application, I can do it in a couple of days. And I'll take that. I don't need a hook. <laughs> it's funny because hooks came out and literally we, we reached out to people to come on React Roundup. We're like, what do you want to talk about? And everybody would react hooks. And I'm like, okay, we've done three episodes on that in the last two months. Okay, and that's so because I keep telling people no. Are they like life cycle hooks? See, this is what I've always thought, but I, I don't know. I don't remember because I, I <laughs> ducked off episodes, and then ducked yeah. on and ducked yeah. off. But yeah. He's like, not hooks again, right? You guys can take this episode. I'm going to have a have to day off. Yeah, I'll admit. And I, I've been spending my time actually learning Vue as opposed to React. So What's that like? Yeah. Tell me about no, that. No hooks. That's what I'll tell you. <laughs> well, I'm still pretty new at it. It is very approachable. So that's something that I like. I can kind of sprinkle it into a page how I want. I decided I was going to build a single page app. That's been interesting. I'm just getting into routing now. So, But yeah, okay, it's been pretty so- approachable. But... You have to realize that I have been talking about Angular for five years on the podcast and done some off and on. I've been talking about Vue for a year or so on the podcast and done a little bit of that off and on, but not seriously. And I've been talking about React and I still don't get it. I'll admit it. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I get the basics of the React library, but the entire ecosystem is confusing to me, to say the Mm -hmm. least. Because Angular Angular and Vue tend to they tend to point you toward the solutions that you should at least start out considering. And React does that, but there's so much debate around a lot of it that even then you wind up looking at a lot of them and going, I just don't know. I think Re- React is a lot, lot of the, like the Hunger Games, isn't it? You just throw a bunch of developers onto an island and yeah. just say, well, there you go. Just, you just grab whatever tools yeah. you can read. Like, just everyone's in a rush to find, to get to the router first, so it's a router. Yeah, but it seems yeah. like if you have a default set of libraries, it seems like it's pretty comparable to anything else. Yeah. So. That's yeah. the thing that scares me, though, about React is what kind of sticky mess are we digging for ourselves 10 years from now? As far as stacks, like the full stack that you look at, are, are there going to be like literally 12 different like React environments like that are like the main ones that were chosen? So like whenever you're going for a React job, it's going to be vastly different from one company to the next just because of 
how they chose to do routing or what they chose to implement, like uh, uh, state management with, for instance. Like, I don't know. Anytime I hear about it, it sounds kind of like a free for all. And so I'm like, are we like making this like a super painful thing to deal with in the future of all these well, companies? I haven't thought of it like that. It's a, it's a very good point, though, isn't it? Because it's, actually, you could create a whole series of React-based stacks. It's it's interesting. I mean, where where the framework's going to take us within the next five to ten years? I mean, I remember going through this with Ruby on Rails. I remember going through this with jQuery. I remember going through this with a couple of other technologies. Ruby that I, went through this. So Rails went through a, a phase where. And I think it's an interesting conversation because it, it has bearing now on, you know, now that Angular is maturing, where do we wind up with it? So Rails started to have the concept of a monolithic Rails app, right? Where you had this giant backend app that ran everything and people started to look at it and go, this is really complicated. There's a lot here. It's tightly coupled. How do we break it apart, right? And so then we went through service-oriented architectures and microservices and job queuing and things like that as solutions. And that's the thing that I think is interesting is, is that, you know, at what point does this issue become painful for React, but then what solutions do they come up with for it? So they may wind up having that problem or they may find an elegant solution to it and have a completely different problem in five years. Uh And, but, but it's always interesting to look at and go, okay, how did we get here? Right. (laughs) And, and I think, I think Angular is probably going to head I mean, Angular had a few things that they wanted to solve, and that's how we wound up with Angular 2, yeah. right? And, and enough of them were breaking changes to where we wound up with a new framework. So now what? You know, we're, we're kind of getting to the point in the maturity lifecycle with Angular 2 Plus to where, okay, you know, I, I think we're going to head into a place where technology changes again, and we're going to be like, okay, this is an issue, you know? And maybe it's the same kind of thing where it's like, we have these two big Angular apps that are hard to reason about in, in their entirety, and how do we fix that? Or maybe it'll be something else. You know, I, I think you know a lot of the issues that we see in a lot of these are state management, and I know that you know React Hook solves some of the state management, state lifecycle stuff, but you know, it seems like that's something we've been fighting for a while, and it's becoming more and more of an issue for a certain class of applications. I think it is, it is possible to get like what you're saying, a monolithic Angular application. I mean, I've I've worked in some phenomenally complex and convoluted Angular apps, but I think at the end of the day, you've almost got to take it away from being an Angular application at that point and say, well, look, what I've actually got is a massive JavaScript application, and it just happens to be running on the the Angular framework, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And and yeah, yeah, the, the, the Angular team can start to put work in to try and make our lives simpler when we wind up in that situation. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's it's more about maybe you've got to sort your JavaScript out rather than <laughs> rely on the people at Google to try and fix your problems, right? Well, and it's all about, yeah. you know, how how like you can you can build a tool as elegantly and performantly as possible, but like you can still use that tool improperly to the point where it's it's just bad. Right. So I think it it does, like you're saying, it really depends on <laughs> What, how are you using it and what, what is everything like under the hood? Because I've seen people use many things in the AngularJS and in you know, the current Angular days um, yeah. improperly to where it's their own detriment. So, Yeah, absolutely. Over the last many years, we've had a ton of terrific people on JavaScript Jabber. And one thing that I realized over the last few years was that we were missing out on some of the real story there. 
So we would talk about the topic that they were experts in and help you keep up on what's going on in the JavaScript community. But I felt like we had these terrific people on there and we didn't really talk about who they were. So I pulled together a show called My JavaScript Story. And what we do is we interview the people that we've had on JavaScript Jabber or people just from the community. Maybe we'll have you on sometime. And we talk about how they got into programming, how they got into JavaScript, what they're working on, what they're well-known for, and how they've developed their career. And some of the people are extremely well-known and come from really interesting backgrounds. So if you're curious about how your JavaScript heroes got into JavaScript, then go check out My JavaScript Story. You can find it at myjsstory.com. I think uh, a, lot of, a lot of this discussion and these, these arguments that people have online, I, I, think, I think it's worth taking a minute to to remember that actually you know we are we're all just javascript developers you know because if you got somebody if i if i were to go on twitter and say i like angular and somebody leaps on me straight away and says ah you're wrong because it's react it's like well actually i like javascript and i just like this particular flavor of javascript right and you obviously like javascript and you just like a different flavor of javascript and that's fine because we're all actually writing javascript so it's like instead of turtles it's javascript all the way down yeah (laughs) Except well, it's not JavaScript, it's TypeScript, and that makes me superior, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, man, you would not believe I was on a project with AngularJS for a long time into the Angular days, and we were still... The reason the company would not switch over was because we were using CoffeeScript, and we did not <laughs> want to give up our CoffeeScript. And I received a lot of flack from that from my friends in the community because of that. So that was That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I do want to point out though as well that, you know, to and this is a point that Alyssa made earlier was, you know, well, have you done the other frameworks to the point where you actually know them well enough to, you know, to to really comment on them? And, you know, her answer was mostly no. And it cuts the other way too, right? A lot of the people who criticize Angular haven't done it in depth enough to really speak to what it's like to build a real app in it. Yeah, or they've and, just done the tour of heroes, right? And and right. Go, okay, so my my entire experience of this vast framework platform is the tour yeah. of heroes, and that yeah. therefore that that gives me the right to to fully judge it. Yeah, and I, and know I think Steven Fluen's wincing right now. They recently rewrote the whole tour of heroes thing because they thought it was a really rough onboarding process. And <laughs> so, if that was your first experience, I know they're like, "Ouch!" <laughs> <laughs> Fair uh, enough. Apologies but, in advance. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, but the thing is, is that, you know, to that point, you don't really understand a technology, you don't really understand a framework until you've written in it enough to know if I go off over here, it's no fun, right? Mm-hmm. Up until that point, it's great. It solves my problems. It's really nice. It does these things really well. And then I just take that solution a step further and the framework is not suited to solve it. Because all of these frameworks, in my opinion, they solve 80% of the cases really well. And then they've got these boundaries where once you cross them, then you're in for some pain because now you're fighting against the way the framework assumes you're writing your code. And you don't know what those are until if you have written enough of it, you know, of of enough complexity and size to actually get there. And I'm sure React has it. I'm sure Vue has it. I'm sure Angular has it. And, and so when you run into those things, that's when you can speak to, okay, you know, these, these are the minefields in React and those minefields are paved over in Angular. So I don't have to worry about those. But if I have this other minefield that's a problem, then I don't want Angular either, right? So, you know, just understanding that or understanding for, for this particular structure, this area is like quicksand and over here it's just slightly unstable. So if, you know, if I put some piles into the sand, 
then I can stand it up over here with less effort than I would have to over there. And until you get to that point with every framework that you're going to compare, it's, it's really hard to give a fair shake one versus the other. Wow. I, I, I stumped you guys. Just, you know, just awed by, the, by all of the, the knowledge <laughs> just imparted. <laughs> <laughs> I just talk a lot. So yeah, we're, we're kind of getting toward the end of our hour, but I'm curious... I mean, what, what kind of evidence of a decline would you have to see before you started really thinking about mm, maybe it's time to go? I mean, or, I pre- or would it be uh, to the point where it's like, well, I don't have this job anymore and I can't find another one that... Doesn't. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be jobs, right? But the, see, the, this, is, this is kind of an issue I have when I'm speaking to recruiters, you know, if I'm ever speaking to recruiters, is that they can, they can come to me and say, well, I've got this React job and say, that's great. Okay, well, I'm, I'm senior level... JavaScript engineer, and I've, I've been working with Angular for three and a half years. And if you need me to do React, then that's fine. And then they all come back and say, "Okay, can you show me examples of uh, React on your GitHub?" And I'm like, "No, but I can show you lots of examples of how I've worked with modern JavaScript and you know web component yeah. based, etc." Yeah. And they say, "Okay, so we might have to pass on this." Like, ah, so th- I think for me to see Angular in decline, whilst I would be sad about it, right? Because as we've already stated, I like working in it. I think we've only got an issue when JavaScript itself is on the way out. And I think this is an issue that a lot of people don't even realize is this is the crux of it, It is that we're not Angular engineers, we're we're JavaScript engineers. Yeah, I think that's well said. And uh, that would be a sad day. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. If JavaScript jobs were on the decline. Yeah, because then then we would have to find out the good news about Elm. Oh, God, help us all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Elm transpiles to JavaScript. I was going to say, yeah, but but then we'd all have to go and learn like .NET or something. (laughs) I can't even think. There's there's no such thing as any other front-end language now that doesn't exist. Well, the other thing is, is you know, you talk about, you know, oh, .NET or something. But the the thing is, is that people want to be happy with what they're using. So somebody would come up with something else. The reason JavaScript would decline is because there would be a reason for people to go somewhere else. And if it's a miserable yeah. technology to work in, even if it's extremely lucrative, it won't pull, I don't think, enough people to to pull people off of JavaScript. It would have to be pleasant to work with and have the other attributes that make it highly desirable. I hope yeah. you're right. Because that would be one sad day. If like, uh, if, I just realized basically money was the only thing driving languages. Yeah. No, <laughs> I just, I just if, realized if it were that it w- we would be living in a different world. I yeah. promise you, WebAssembly—that's where it's at, right? That's that's where we're all going. We all got to learn Rust. Get to the WebAssembly. That I mean, Yay. we laugh, Wasm. we laugh, but watch you watch. <laughs> I'll be I'll be first in line in the in the WebAssembly Hunger Games. I think we are heading somewhere with WebAssembly, but I don't think any of us have a realistic idea of what that looks like. And the other thing is, is it's a technology that current JavaScript can take advantage of as much as anything else. Yeah, true. So we live in a WASM world. We're still going to write Angular and it's still going to compile. It just may compile the WebAssembly instead of JavaScript. That's a, that's a very happy note. Angular, Angular compiles to everything. That'd be the future. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm waiting for JavaScript on Rails. That would make me happy. <laughs> I mean, they, they already have Opal, right? So you can write Ruby and it'll transpile. Well, it's kind of. Kind of Ruby. It's kind of Ruby. It's its own language, but it's What, what does it transpile Ruby. to? Ruby. JavaScript. It conv- oh, okay. It's, okay. It's a Ruby, Ruby VM that transpiles to JavaScript. Right, okay. 
So. Uh, you, <clears throat> this is going slightly off topic, but I have worked in a place where they used something called Wicket. Have either of you heard of that? Wicket. I've heard the it? name. Wicket is it is a a Java library where you write incredibly convoluted Java code and it transpiles to HTML. And it's for Java developers who don't want to learn HTML because it's no. too difficult. No. Uh, and it is, it is the most painful no. thing I've ever worked with. <laughs> ever. <laughs> it was so awful. Like, okay, just build a form three days later. I have no idea. Just let me write it in HTML, please. <laughs> Oh, and that makes me cringe because I'm thinking, what's the accessibility of this HTML it's it's spitting out? Because I've seen, not Wicket, but I've seen things like that that create their own HTML and then you've got like divs and divs and divs and then the span. And you're like, what oh, yeah, is going on here? Yeah. So. <laughs> that, is, that is similar to what you'd get with Wicket, actually. Mm. Yeah. I'm looking forward to Angular for Wicket. That's, that's where my future is. There we go. <laughs> It's an Apache project, and that that makes me smile too. <laughs> yeah. Apache like, Foundation, smiling like like I love you, Apache, or what's what's the feel the sentiment here? The Apache Foundation has always been super interesting to me as far as how they adopt stuff and how they you know how they support it and things like that. And they've got a bunch of like really obscure stuff, but then they've also got like Cordova when they mm. you know because they took on PhoneGap and then they rebranded it for trademark reasons. I didn't and, know that was them. I had no idea. Yeah. So it's a it's Apache Cordova. And yeah. And so they've got some of these projects that, you know, whole ecosystems rely on. And then they've got these other projects like Wicket that it's like, I might have heard the name, but I couldn't tell you what it is. And, you know, there's a really small subset of people that use it, but they're really passionate about it. And so anyway, it's, it's just got this really interesting juxtaposition of what what they're actually supporting and what they put out there. And then which communities latch on to it, right? So we've done a couple episodes on Ruby Rogues for uh, Kafka. And Ruby has its own solutions that do sort of the same thing, except not at the scale that Kafka can. And so Rubyists tend to stick to the Ruby solutions, even though there's a more elegant and you know, robust solution. And so anyway, it's, it's really interesting to see you know, where they're able to make inroads and where they're not as well. So... Anyway, I have rambled way too much in this episode about <laughs> random stuff. But yeah, well, so... I have a semi-related uh, like question for my pick. So let me know when it's time for picks and I'll kick that off. Yeah, I guess I just kind of want to wrap up with any conclusions that we've come to. So is it declining? In what ways is it declining if it is? And ultimately, you know, what does that mean as far as what people should do today about it? I don't think it is in decline, is it? I mean, it's, 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 popular. it's, it's popular with enterprise. It certainly is over here, you know, in the UK. And oh, yeah, that's true. I mean, you point that out, but we have a .NET podcast. And I think all of the web work that all of those guys have done is Angular. And if you go look at .NET projects on the web, like 90% of them use Angular. Yeah. Or maybe at 75% and the other 20% use well, uh, I mean, jQuery. It's got to be helpful to be able to use TypeScript and C Sharp, right? Yeah. Because they're, they're going to be similar I mean, they were yeah, written by the same guy, right? Yeah. So, oh, were you, they? You can see. Uh, yeah, it's Anders Halsberg. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much I say he wrote them. Did he sit down and write the entire He designed them. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's why. Because, yeah, they are like peanut butter and jelly, man. You yeah. see them everywhere. <laughs> peanut butter and jelly time. Peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> but, yeah, I agree with Chris. I don't think it's in the decline. I think it might be in 
the eye of the beholder. So yeah. what are you, what are you reading? Whose who's tweets are you watching? And that's, that's going to tell you whether it is or isn't. So, yeah. But I think as far as jobs, I don't think we're in danger. So. so at this point, do you think people should be coming into Angular or should they be looking somewhere else? People who are in Angular, should they be looking at some of these others or... People who are coming in need to make sure they've got a grounded foundation in JavaScript. Oh my God, you could not have said it better. So that (laughs) that when when a job comes along that requires a framework or a library, I'll just add that in, they can go and use that framework or library because it's JavaScript, right? But not only that, but let's say they stay in Angular for the rest of their life, uh, the rest of their dev career. That's the biggest thing that I tell people like as far as regrets go is not getting grounded enough before I moved on to a framework, any framework. Because there's times when I'm like, why does that work that way? And my husband will be like, that's just JavaScript. And I'm like, oh my God, that's JavaScript? Like, <laughs> yeah. So I just, I wish I had spent more time learning JavaScript before learning the things that go on top of JavaScript. I'd love to do an episode on that. Like what JavaScript concepts do you need to understand before you can really, you know, deeply use Angular. Because, yeah, I think some people can get in and they can get an app written in Angular without understanding those fundamentals. But, you know, in what ways are they handicapped by that? And mm. what kinds of things are going to, going to empower you to understand what Angular's doing? I'd love to dive into that. Mm. Not today. Yeah, that would, that would be interesting for a future episode, certainly. Back when functional programming was making its resurgence, I found it really interesting that a lot of people were moving over there And it almost felt like it was on hype. And I didn't really understand the power of functional programming until I learned Elixir. Elixir is a functional programming language. It's built on the Erlang virtual machine. And it really does some interesting things and makes you build apps in a different way. But what's really fascinating about it is the speed of the applications, the ability to distribute work easily, and just how it manages the functional programming and all of the nice things about it so that you don't have to worry about side effects and a lot of the other things that come out of functional programming. Plus, pattern matching in Elixir is a killer feature. If you're looking for a new language that you want to learn that is going to make a difference for you and give you the opportunity to challenge some of your thinking and find a new way of doing it, Elixir is a great way to go. And we have a podcast now on Elixir called Elixir Mix. And you can find that at elixirmix.com. All right, well, should we do some picks? Yeah. All right. Alyssa, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, so my pick is just a question for both of you that I like to ask people. I think it's a fun... Interactive picks. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of related to the whole, you know, is Angular in danger? Is it going anywhere? If you could never touch a computer ever again, starting tomorrow, what kind of job would you get? What would you do? I mean, when you say computer... you qualified for it? (laughs) No, I mean, like, obviously, you're gonna have to like start working on a new career path. So, what would that right. what would that look like, right? What, what when it comes to is a computer, like, is my phone a computer? Is my tablet? No, I just mean it couldn't be. Can, you couldn't do I can't pick programming up a, or semi-programming uh, okay. related, right? Like, it's can't do data entry. Like, <laughs> wow. All right, I actually used to be a teacher, so I guess I could go back to that. But there's a reason That's I left. Awesome. It's because there's uh, the reason I left. <laughs> <laughs> Too many unruly no, students. Couldn't cope with the stress, right? Like, I'd rather have React developers swearing at me no, other than uh, <laughs> teenage what did you, What did you teach? I used to teach uh, mathematics to uh, 12 to 16-year-olds. And, um, mm. and uh, yes, 
That's enough of that. Enough that's, of that. I like, I like what, it. That's what my mom's doing, actually. She has really? her master's in math and she okay. teaches high school, I think, right now. So. Okay. I, that is super funny because my mother also teaches high school math. She runs the math. She's the math department head over at the local high school. So. Yeah. Anytime. <laughs> at one point, I have these like really weird like tangents I go off on. And I was like, mom, what really is multiplication? And she's like, seriously, Alyssa? <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's the best. I love her. She like literally that we have a video yeah. of her like pulling out. We were shopping and she pulls out this like uh, shopping bag and starts writing math on it to teach me something like She's just so on the go. I love that. But that's awesome, Chris, yeah. that you used to teach. I didn't know yeah. that. It's cool. So can I say I'd be a podcaster? <laughs> uh, I mean, that's kind of on the computer. Like if you had to walk away from all technology. Right. I couldn't have a tech job at all. No tech job, no mics, no computers, no... I mean, honestly... You've never thought about like leaving it all behind and just doing something like... I have, but then the joke is then I'd go be a pig farmer, right? But <laughs> I mean, to be perfectly honest, <laughs> so so the things that I really love to do that are not, you know, on the computer, you know, I like working on my cars. I like building things with, you know, woodworking. Mm. That said, you know, and I love doing handyman stuff around the house. That said, I don't know that I'd really want to do those for work, right? Yeah. Because I enjoy them and I don't want them... Well, but I did that with podcasting, so... I'm from... <laughs> Uh, no, nobody gets into programming because they 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 hate it, but they're just desperate for the money. Yeah. Like we, we like getting paid for doing what we, we enjoy doing. But honestly, if if I could get into like high end carpentry, right, where I'm actually building things, and not just like you know building chairs and tables and stuff, but things that involve real artistry, like real craftsmanship, mm. you know, and be that you know that I'm building just beautiful homes, or whether mm-hmm. I'm you know, yeah creating art out of wood or something. I don't know. No, I I think the same. I think mine would be either, you know, if we could live by the ocean, it'd probably be like a dive instructor of some sort because I love diving so much. So I I would not mind even if it's like dumb dives, teaching people how not to kill themselves underwater. Like I wanted you to say surf instructor, dude. (laughs) No, me on it. I can under the water on top of the water. (laughs) Those are... Alyssa yeah, has just, balance issues. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is like, yeah. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I'm so clumsy. It's not even funny. And you can't like, you know, like when you're under the water, like just, just make sure your buoyancy is cool. But like, if you're on top of a surfboard, like mm, all bets are off. So, yeah. but no, but, that I, something with my hands is definitely where I, if it'd either be that or like something like a landscaping job, just because I envy people sometimes who get to do like physical type labors in their jobs because I feel like it, there's just so much thinking. Like, do you ever feel that way? Like at the end of the day, you're so tired because like you were trying to solve this problem or you were working on something and it's just like mentally taxing and I envy the the physical taxing bit of other jobs sometimes. Yeah, just go to work to be a giant brain, right? In front of a keyboard. Those are both such good answers. I I was going to say like I'd be a pizza delivery boy because that sounds like you just get to drive around giving pizzas to people. But I think, I think I would probably, if I couldn't work with computers, I think I would possibly try and write a book because I, I, I like yes. reading and I like creative writing. So mm. I think I'd have a Ooh, go. I have a pick for you, Nen. I'd, Ooh, I'd, have, to, uh, I'd have to deliver pizzas to, to pay the bills, right? Until I could publish <laughs> yeah. a book. Oh, that would be fun too. That would be... I, I've wanted to write a fiction book forever. And every year, 
I'm all geared up for NaNoWriMo, and then something happens. Where's NaNoWriMo? Oh, it's a national writing month. Yeah. The, the idea they is you've got to write like 100,000 words over the course of November. I tried it once. I, I managed to get to like 65,000 words, and then I realized that what I was writing wasn't very good. Uh, so I stopped. Well, by what standard wasn't it not quality? What? What? I don't know. You know, like sometimes, like sometimes when you're writing and then you're like, you look at it and you go, I, I don't know if I like this. <laughs> yeah. So I've, I've got two picks for you now. But the, the one thing that I have seen and heard, especially with my own writing, I mean, even if I'm writing for the mailing list, is a lot of times I wind up having to clear my throat, so to speak, before I actually write. And this is a term I've borrowed from someone else. So essentially what it boils down to is so I get down and I just write the quick and dirty thing and I essentially get all of the gross, icky stuff out of my throat so that then I can say what I want to say. And so I think there's as much value in writing bad writing as there is to writing good writing if you stick with it long enough to get to the good writing. But anyway, let me throw these picks at you and see how they strike you. The first one is there is a Discord server called Devs Who Write. It was started and is managed by none other than Kent C. Dodds. All right. And the, I've been in there long enough to be in there for two NaNoWriMo's. And like I said, and I'll put links in for all this stuff. I don't know if I have a link for uh, Devs Who Write. You might just have to bug Kent. But I think you just tweet at him and say, hey, can I get into Devs Who Write? And he'll hook you up. No, um, is that just technical writing? No, it's fiction writing. Okay. So he's got, he's got a book series that he's been working on. There are a number of other people in there that you may or may not have heard. Some of them have been co-hosts oh. on devchat.tv. And it is so, all fiction writing. You should definitely spell NaNoWriMo because I was hearing rhino, like a rhinoceros. <laughs> I didn't get it at all. So, <laughs> Oh, like, please tell it's me. It's about a really small rhino, Alyssa. NaNoWriMo. <laughs> He's so small. You can hold him in the palm of your hand. He eats like, you know, peanuts. I, so na- NaNoWriMo. Like, I'm like, what? <laughs> so, so NaNoWriMo is a parked domain. Unless <laughs> I just bought it. But NanoRimo is at nanorimo.com and or dot org. Sorry. So nanorimo.org at least doesn't resolve. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it's it's N A N O and then it's W R I like writing and then yeah. M O for month, yeah, I na- assume. <laughs> National Novel Writing Month. So so yeah. So devs who write, it's been fun to be in there. I've kind of been tempted to just say, look, April is my nanorimo because for heaven's sake, I just... November, like November this year was hell. The other one that I'm going to pick is a podcast called Writing Excuses. It's Brandon Sanderson. He's the one that I am most familiar with. Uh, Howard Taylor. And I don't Brandon know Howard. Brandon Sanderson I, from... Is he in the Angular community? That Brandon? No, he's an author. Uh, he's written wait. a whole bunch. Oh my God. Wait, he's, <clears throat> he's a part of this podcast? Yes. And, he, and they talk about writing, fiction writing. He like took over for Robert Jordan when yes. he passed away and he finished his series, his most epic se- Oh, this is so cool. I had no idea. Yeah. D- d- okay. So I get to totally nerd out now. <clears throat> Brandon Sanderson lives in Provo, Utah, right over half hour away. One of my best friends from high school works at Cosmere House where they ship all their swag out of and do all their events at. And sometime within the next month, I'm gonna, I get to go over there and hang out at Cosmere House. He's like, you want to come over? I'm like, yeah. Oh, you got to like take pics. <clears throat> I do. I need to take pictures and just be like, mm-hmm. so guys. 
I'm a, I'm a huge fan of both Brandon and Robert Jordan. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but he's on there. It's Howard Taylor. I can't remember all the rest of them. But yeah, most of their writing has been science fiction or fantasy of some kind. There's one woman on there that writes like historical, but it's like historical based fantasy stuff. So there's magic and stuff. And she just puts it into historical events. They tend to rotate some of the other ones out. Howard actually writes a comic strip and it's a space opera comic strip uh, called Schlock Mercenary, which is freaking hilarious. But yeah, I know Howard's brother, Randy, but I don't know Howard. Uh, Both Howard and Brandon, and I think one or two of the others are based here in Utah. And so they would just get together in the same room every week and record. Anyway, it's called Writing Excuses. They've got like 12 or 13 seasons. And so if you're getting into fantasy writing, I have been tempted to go back and listen to their entire backlog again as I write my book. Because I I definitely want to write a a fiction series. I also want to write a nonfiction series. And it's a non-trivial amount of work to write a book since I've actually written my first book. Go get it. Did you just say the words, it's a non... Non-trivial amount of work. Amount of work to write write a a book. book. It is a ton of work. Oh, non-trivial. I was like, non-trivial. Are you saying it's easy? <laughs> it is not easy. Okay, thank you. If you're writing a kid's book, maybe. <laughs> maybe. The bear, the Dude, bear went to the park. Some of these books that I'm reading to my son, I'm like, how do you even get to put your name on this? Like, yeah. there's two sentences. I don't... <laughs> well, sometimes it's the art and sometimes it's, it's the message, but you have to like sit down really be deliberate about it because you don't want it to be that complicated, but you don't want to just come out and make the point. You know, it's like, it's like, be nice to your friends, right? You, you kind of want to tell a story that says, be nice to your friends, but in a way that'll hold a two-year-old's attention for five minutes. So anyway, it's, it's harder than it looks because I'm sure you're paring down ideas like crazy. I'm just going to throw those out as my picks. One other thing I do want to throw out there is I am looking at doing some group coaching on how to find your dream developer job. So whether you're trying to find your first one or you know, you're know you not happy where you are and you want to go find a different job, how to do that probably be like 12 weeks. And then I'm also looking at doing kind of a, the same thing for podcasting. Lastly, I am I don't know how much interest there is in this. I'm pretty sure that I can find people that will want to be in the others. But I'm looking at doing a weekly mastermind group for people that want to level up their careers and stay current. And so we would just get in and help each other out and kind of, you know, coach each other. It's it's more of a collaborative thing as opposed to some of the other ones that the group coaching is mostly me, you know, giving you knowledge and then helping you implement it. So anyway, if you're interested in any of those, I will have a link up there. In fact, let me just throw a link out there and then I will put the landing page up before this goes live. So we go to devchat.tv slash workshops. You'll be able to find those. But yeah, so it's uh, Keeping Current is one of the group coaching for 12 months or 12 weeks. The other ones, find your dream developer job. And yeah, then the mastermind. And I'm also kind of toying with the idea of doing one on how to start your own podcast. Keep an eye out for that. If you join the mailing list, you'll get all the details when I have all that stuff available. So that's that's what I got. Chris, do you have some picks for us? Yes, I'm going to pick two things. Um, seeing as we're talking about books and writing and fabulous authors and things, I would like to pick a book that I read at the end of last year uh, and it's called Ninth House. And the author's name is, I'm probably possibly going to butcher this. The name is Lee Bardugo. I'll write it in the chat so that people can find it. I understand that she is an established writer of teenage fiction, but this was her first attempt at an adult novel. I just saw it in a bookshop and thought, that looks cool. I'll try it. But it is, it's kind of like a 
a real world fantasy slash slight horror slash slight murder mystery thing is about, well, I won't give anything away, but it's basically about somebody who is at Yale and that is the university, not the company that makes locks and keys. And it's about these secret societies within the university where they practice magic and use it to influence alumni of the university and then the book is about how the magic gets out of hand and and there's like a murder in the town and and this this main protagonist is investigating it but it's absolutely fabulous if you like any of those kind of genre things i i highly recommend it i burned through it and what was the title again it's called ninth house by Lee Bardugo. I'll put it in the chat in a second so that um, people can go check that out. But it's, it's, I thoroughly recommend it. I, I literally, when I finished it, I was I was like, you had better write some more of these because I, I'm basically already going to give you my money. And if you don't now give me books, I'm going to be very sad. It's a great book. And then the other thing I'd like to pick is the new um, Star Trek Picard series, which has just come out. I'm not sure where it's on in the US. In uh, the UK, it's on Amazon Prime. But the first episode was out last week and I watched it and it is the continuing adventures of the wonderful Sir Patrick Stewart's uh, Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, and the first episode was exquisite and I look forward to more. So yes, those are my Yeah, the, the first episode was terrific. In the US, you have to get it on CBS All Access. Right. So, And if you are an, an audiobook fan, it looks like Ninth House is on Audible. So There you go. Nice. One other thing I'm going to throw out real quick is, so the way that I wound up getting my book written, I went through a program called Self-Publishing School. It wasn't cheap, but if you're serious about writing a book, then their program was awesome. So And into a lovely literary conversation at the end. Well, sometimes that's the fun, right? It's like, wow, you know, it's this other thing that I hadn't thought about. So, Well, thank you so much, Chris. I cannot wait to do the rest with you this has been so fun it's been yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's been a blast yeah absolutely thanks very much you guys enjoy the rest of your day it's basically bedtime for me <laughs> oh yeah good night good night John. <laughs> yeah. thank you we'll see you later yep bye bye bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more